This podcast is called Obsessed. Joseph Scrimshaw and his guest get some secrets off their chest. You should listen. It's the best. Hello and welcome to Obsessed with me, Joseph Scrimshaw. I'm sitting in my home with a great guest. He's a returning guest to Obsessed. He's a writer and a master dungeon master, Ryan Vernier. I can't argue with any of that, <laughs> right? It's just like, yeah, just take it. It's all true. Yeah, take the compliment. Thank master you very dungeon much. Master. I'm so happy to be back, Joseph. I appreciate Thank you. this. Yeah, I, yeah. You, it was such a great episode. Uh, you came and you talked about Dungeons and Dragons. I hope people enjoyed it. Yeah, that was fun for me. Absolutely. People loved it. Good. It's a, it's a very Good. popular episode. Oh, uh, wow. Because That's... obviously Dungeons and Dragons is really popular, but you had some like really great insights and a really great personal journey through Dungeons and Dragons yeah. as well. It's really a shout out to my mom and that 20, you know, that the quarter we spent on the red box back yeah. in the day. That's the <laughs> log line for that episode if you go back and watch it. It's your red box origin story. Yeah, it is. Yeah. yeah. yeah That's yeah. so awesome. Uh, and when we recorded that episode, we had to be kind of cryptic about how we met. But oh, now we yeah. don't have to be. No. We met working on Tigtone. Tigtone. And it's like, how how crazy has this journey been? Yeah. Like, Tigtone is apparently well-liked, which, I you know, is it's not a surprise, but, like, he's kind of like this toxic character that bends the curve and becomes lovable again. Yeah, he really does. That's hard to pull off. So I'm really like, <laughs> everybody who worked on it, I think, did a tremendous job. I think I was just there to, like, shout uh, tropes uh, but that, that were then perverted into the episodes. But I'm so excited to be a part of it. Yeah, yeah. you killed it uh, in the in the writer's room. Thank getting, you like, very really much. Great, knowing that D&D was such a part of the DNA of what Tigtone was, and you being a D&D master... And a lot of great ideas came from like, well, normally people would zig. Should we zag or should we zig and zag? It finally came in handy. Yeah. No, no, that's not. <laughs> it's come in handy a lot, actually. My whole journey has been. But we covered this in that episode. Yeah. Uh, and uh, I'm sure some D&D stuff will emerge in this episode as well. It seems uh, inevitable uh, because <laughs> the topic is. Uh, now, how do you choose to say it? Miniatures or miniatures? So I think, um, you know, sometimes I get lazy and I just say it both ways. Okay. Um, sometimes at the same time. No, I think it miniatures, miniatures, miniatures. Or, I mean, miniatures that's that's how Peter Cushing would have said it. <laughs> well, like, uh, Princess Leia, where he, are the miniatures? Yeah, and he was a miniatures guy. Oh, actually. was he really? Yeah, he actually was in an old school advertisement for, uh, I don't know if it was Kriegspiel or one of these really ancient esoteric war games where you're like painting like, you know, dudes fighting in Waterloo. But he was like, it's like, yeah, it's it's Peter Cushing painting miniatures. It's actually the photo is in my friend Kyle Newman's book, uh, Art and Arcana, okay. which uh, like I guess free plug for them. Whatever they gave me a bunch <laughs> of free books, but it's a it's a visual collection of uh, the artwork surrounding D and D, and they have this old ad. I don't. It must have been from a European publication. Yeah, oh, but that's so cool. Moff Tarkin. Is he looking minis. all? Like yeah. Well, no, he's just dressed Urbane like Urbane. And... Yeah, I mean, he kind of looks like he could walk. He just walked off the set of some Jules Verne movie, and like you know, yeah. And he's like, now I'm going to paint my cavalryman. You know, it's just like, um, yeah, yeah. No, that's so funny that we the Cushing thing happened instantly because that was uh, something I planted in preparation for this. Oh, in your mind, and, yeah. and then it just kind of happened. Yeah. Well, it makes sense because the miniatures thing to me are it's fascinating because it's a thing that changes massively based on culture. Like oh, what do you mean? That's I mean, interesting. Well, we'll get into it, but oh. I just mean from from going to like uh, a British man of Peter Cushing's age and distinction, this would mm. be a perfectly lovely way to spend your time painting miniatures. Mm. To like uh, when we were growing up, you know, and D and D was being teased or mocked, miniatures would be kind of like, oh, you're in the basement playing miniatures, and I think now we're in this renaissance where it's like. 
a cool, fun, artsy thing to do. There's people on Twitch with like tens of thousands of followers painting minis. Like, yeah. That's their show. They're like, I'm a really great mini painter. Yeah. And I'm like, I, I it's wonderful. It's like, it, yeah, it has, it, you're right. It has, you know, transcended or come around again or whatever kind of, you know, however you want to put it. But, um, but uh, I think that leads a little bit into how I discovered it, um, and I don't know if I'm jumping the gun. Yeah, no, here. I'd love. I'd love uh, well, you know, actually, before we get into that, let's pump for, the brakes. Yeah, for people who are just like, I think I know what you're talking about. <laughs> why don't you give the most basic explanation of what you mean when you say minis or yes. miniatures? So, uh, so associated with Dungeons and Dragons specifically, there are these. I think people would think of little tiny pewter or lead miniatures that of knights and dragons and barbarians and dwarves and trolls and orcs. And you would use these on sort of a battle mat to help you track the action of Dungeons and Dragons. Like the physical location of your characters. Yeah, like, oh, I'm 60 feet away from the beholder. Or I'm like, right. you know, right next to this pit trap. And and that would help you sort of understand things. And for, for a visual note, if people are still like, what? It's what the <laughs> kids in E.T. were playing around the kitchen table. Nice. They were playing some form of D&D where they had made cardboard walls to represent the dungeon. They had some minis out. Uh, so whoever the prop master on that, they knew exactly what they were doing. Yeah, so maybe Peter Cushing. Yeah, Peter Cushing was working for Spielberg. That's right. Um, but yeah, and so that's when I'm talking to you is like physical um, tokens to help you track the action in Dungeons and Dragons. Okay, cool. Now we got that baseline just in case because sometimes I have to step back and check myself. It's important uh, in, in my in my nerd bubble. Uh, so how did they come into your life? Was it with D and D or a different journey? So it was a different journey, and and it's like this is like I come on you know the obsessed podcast to talk about my family who I miss obviously, <laughs> but like um, my grandfather Ewald was um, an engineer and a draftsman for uh, like uh, like an old like company called ITT. They made secret government stuff, like Stranger Things stuff, and nice. um, it's like seriously, it's really cool. and. Uh, um, he and I think a lot of men of his generation, this post World War II, uh, most of them vets, they loved model trains. Right. Right. And so the basement of my grandparents' house was this Never Never Land that looked a lot like Mr. Rogers' make, make, you know, make oh, believe. Really? Okay. Right? You know, it was the land of make believe. Yeah. Um, and it was just filled with trains in these little villages and people. They were very tiny. They were not, you know, uh, the scale you would use with Dungeons and Dragons. They were like a centimeter tall. But. It was just, I, ha- I think it was the combination of Grandpa's trains in the basement and Mr. Rogers, who, of course, if you think about it, had um, castles and all these kind of also sort of miniature terrain items in yeah. that program. And I think those two things just singed my brain in a way where um, the idea of play and toy, um, it, while still being you know somewhat childlike, could somehow move beyond that. Okay. Um, and, uh, you know, like Mr. Rogers was great about, you know, teaching you, you know, not to really feel shame about things you love that are especially good for you. And and my grandfather was like a very well-respected, you know, engineer and draftsman. So I was like, oh, I can just do this till I'm dead. Okay. And, and so the, it, it came there. You know, the little paints, the tester's paints were lined up in this, you know, calliope of beautiful colors in the basement. And I remember having to do my homework sitting next to my grandfather down there while he was working on a train and I was trying to like, you know, learn how to read, you know, that's... shout out to the previous episode. <laughs> like, you know, and then, and that was kind of it. I think, I yeah. think that's where it happened. That's amazing. So sitting next to Ewald who yeah. worked on secret government projects, I think is yeah. he painted his model. That's trains. right. That's right. That's I actually got to tour awesome. the facility. 
um, when they were tearing down a portion of the computer lab, they called it. And it was one for one the Cold War era giant room from uh, Winter Soldier. Really? One for one, right? You check the tapes for any Nazi brains? Dude, like, well, it punched out those cards, right? It was, yeah. a, it was a card-fed system that was the size of, like, a basketball court. And the doctors were, they were all wearing lab coats. And my grandfather was like, yeah, it's declassified now. Come on in, take this. Is a, this is what a computer used to look like. Because, of course, we had, and it blew my mind. And that's when I knew to stop trusting anybody. And, <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. It was, it was just a very cool field yeah. trip. Yeah. yeah, so you feel like uh, being introduced to this through your your grandfather's version of minis, yeah, and the play aspect of Mister Rogers that it came yeah. into your mind is like this is a form of play of fun of escapism, but it is grounded in res- a re- quote unquote respectable adult thing as well. It wasn't, but I knew it wasn't my flavor. So what I saw was stuff I liked. I saw bright colors. I saw miniature terrain. I saw stuff that was intriguing. But I didn't really care about trains. Right? Yeah. That was not a thing that we, I think our generation was like, holy cow, a train to Cincinnati. <laughs> you know, that's faster than a horse. I feel like um, the romance of the engineering of trains <laughs> did pass by yeah. Gen X. You know, and um, so, yeah, it, it, yeah, we missed it. And then when, when I did discover Dungeons and Dragons, um, I think it was, again, a combination of seeing old Dungeons and Dragons advertisements in Marvel Comics combined with the advertisements for Dungeons & Dragons miniatures in the back of, like, Dragon Magazine, Dungeon okay. Magazine, that it all swirled together in my head as, this is the coolest expression because this is my flavor. Okay, yeah. yeah. So it's like, okay, so what if it was like my grandfather's train tracks, but there is a fucking orc on a train? There's a red dragon. Yeah, yeah a red like dragon. Exactly. It's exactly. burned Whatever. on that train. Okay. That's, and, then, and then I got really freaked out when I bought my, you know, my first mini, which I, I think I was given to me by an older friend by like a like a friend of the family who was like I'm not doing this D&D thing anymore here kid okay. you can have the shambling mound and I w- <laughs> went downstairs into the basement you know the first time I'm back at grandpa's house and I put it on the train track and and it was like way too big okay and I was like wait there's different scales and that's when you know it's always with D&D and it's math and words and having to learn stuff yeah I was like whoa and, and so down it in the basement yeah. of 24 I Hall Street okay you know and I was like oh my god like I can't it's not gonna it doesn't fit you know what I mean yeah and, and then it then it really became mine and this mission of painting and building was born yeah so uh the like original D&D didn't come with minis right no, did, no, no. There was just all they and to this day, all you need is paper, pencil, dice, right, and the book to so, play D anD. And but, I mean, we, obviously, we talked about your D anD. D journey a lot. Did you D anD. D much before minis became no. integrated into that world, or have you kind of always for you D anD. Ds and minis have been the same? They are. There are two rivers that we're talking about here. Okay. We're talking about the river that is D anD. D as it comes through my life, and the river that is play and toy. Okay, that comes much earlier. Okay. Right, and then those rivers, you know, there's a, there's a confluence. Okay. Where those two things became one thing, and so I'm going to say that you know miniatures definitely came first. I was given this gift. Hey, look at this cool shambling mound. Did not know how to play the game. Was just a child with a toy. Oh, okay. So the yeah. shambling mound was before. Oh yeah, oh, okay. because the D and D they started selling miniatures shortly after D and D became a thing. I think they realized, okay, we could we need to make some peripheral yeah. merchandise here to sell. You know, and you know. They, they didn't even original D anD D didn't even have dice. I believe they 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 shipped it and you used chits or little okay. tokens to actually figure out the random numbers. Oh wow! Um, dice came later, miniatures came later, but but shortly later. Yeah, but yeah. So these these things definitely existed before I was a 
player or dungeon master. Okay, so did you paint your shambling mound? So yeah. <laughs> Thanks for the opportunity to say that sentence. The, you're welcome. <laughs> um, yeah, it was my first failure, followed by a giant, what I want to say was the uh, uh, Dragonlance Red Dragon, which was a much bigger miniature, a very cool miniature. I uh, I basically was like, hey, can I can I paint these minis? And my grandfather, being trusting, was like, absolutely. And I immediately, like, dumped way too much green on the Shambling Mound. These okay. testers' paints were not water-soluble. These are, like, um, these are, you need paint thinner to work okay. with these paints. I didn't get that, so I'm dipping brushes in water. I'm, like, I'm destroying brushes. I, like, yeah. I probably caused $100 worth of damage <laughs> trying to paint one cent of, like, toxic lead. And uh, that was my first experience. Yeah. Do you still have that Shambling Mountain? Um, sadly, there, it is probably still in that basement. Okay. Yeah, and and through the you know the the folds and and and, and distancing of family members, I would probably have to steal in the night okay. dressed as a ninja <laughs> to access that house as people no longer get along, uh, and you know as things are inherited. But that's not out of the cards. Okay. This may incriminate me a little, but whatever. They still have to catch me. <laughs> so, as you as those rivers meet. Yeah. Obviously, did you start getting miniatures for D anD D? Did did miniatures just kind of when those rivers came together, were miniatures only D&D, or do you have like a whole separate collection of miniatures that aren't about playing D&D? The great, the great thing was it was, uh, you know, toy and play. And at the time, there were uh, these wonderful uh, D&D to- toys you could get. And I think I was still young enough where I could express my fandom before I knew what fandom was by asking, um, you know, again, mom, you know, or grandma or Ewald for that matter. Uh, for like, oh, I want an orc for my birthday. Yeah. And still, it was pre me understanding the game, and there was this, you know, this product I could interact with. So it all still is like in the realm of the child. Yeah. It the 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 actual miniature, like me, hardcore getting into miniatures and starting to think big, doesn't happen until I actually start playing the game. And okay. then I was like, you never saw more than ten or twenty minis on a table. Yeah. And I'm like, this isn't going to represent all of what our imagination can express. Right. Yeah. You, know, you look no. at, and then this, and but I remember telling a the, my 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 dungeon master friend Don at the time was like, you know, one day I bet you they'll figure out a way where we can just have minis out and it's going to be beautiful and terrain. He was like, it'll cost too much money, and, <laughs> and he's not wrong. But like, I kind of held on to that dream. But it, it was only in adult life did I really tap into that and make it real. Okay. And rediscover this um you know these rivers as we're kind yeah, of calling them yeah yeah so t- talk to me about that moment when you really get into the groove of like okay i understand entirely what they are i know how i'm going to use them in the game i start buying them start painting them when did that happen in, like when i was 38 okay like i'm serious you know <laughs> yeah. yeah like this is a dream this is the dream of an 8 year old yeah that could not be made into reality um until i was like fairly successful and then I could do it at the scale I wanted to. And this was just before, you know, 3D printing came along, which I think is going to give it to everybody, yeah. by the way. So while I might come off as like the Scrooge McDuck of miniatures <laughs> I, in wealth, I kind of am. But like it's coming to everybody. Right. Like, and so so I just waited until I could afford to scale and create um, in the breadth and way I wanted to with these miniatures. And, that, and, and then, you know. And now I'm like, you know, in my, you know, I'm older now. I'm in my 40s. I'm going to be dead soon. Um, And I have like this huge collection. And so now, only now, and as an adult, am I expressing this like these games, like 
in the way that I guess you might see on Critical Role or, or yeah. one of these shows where they actually bring out all the Dwarven Forge, where they bring out all the minis, and it's like right there. Yeah, and it's really fun, and I don't think it. Um, I don't think it hampers or encumbers the imagination. I think it just enhances. Yeah, yeah. And it certainly makes it much more visual if you're doing it in an all-performative way. It cuts out debate. Like, whether yeah. or not you're like, oh, hey, I wasn't 12 feet away from that thing. I was 30. It's like, you're full of, right. you're yeah. full of shit. Your shit, arrow's you're not dead. reaching. Yeah, yeah. or whatever yeah. it is. And so I love it for that reason. Also, so we get more story and action and less debate. And less pedantic. Okay, cool. Uh, and I, I want to talk a little bit more about how they work in your game. But I'm also curious, you know, now that you have this vast collection, do you really enjoy them and value them just as objects as well as, you know, marshalling oh, yeah. them into the game? Oh, yeah. No, I mean, <laughs> my wife... Is like, do you have a plan? And I'm like, what do you mean? She's like, for when you're dead. And I have a house filled with minis. Okay. And I was like, yeah, we'll just call up some museums. No, I don't know. Or you will. I'll be dead. But um, uh, yeah, I, I, my house is filled with them. Luckily, my wife, Jessica, really um, gets it. And she appreciates them, too. Um, you know, my painting skills have come along a pretty, a pretty far away. I've been... Um, uh, trained by a painter who's a professional special effects guy who's worked at legendary special effects. Okay. Like, and, you know, um, you know, I did a, like this six week course where he's like, I need a place to stay. I'm like, I need to learn how to paint minis. Damn. And I just, you know, so he just stayed and every night we would grind on minis together. Okay. And that was, I was like, that's the rent. Like, and I'm like, cause I really, like I was serious. I never gave up on the stream and, and it took my painting to the next level. And then once I realized, wow, painting one mini to, a professional standard is probably three days worth of work. I need to now hire painters to sort of be my production painter. So, so I will paint one mini. I'll be like, this is what I want the zombie to look like. I need 50 zombies. And then Damn. I'll give 49 zombies to like an outsourcer, you know, I'll give them my example and then, you know, they'll return. And, and, and I've been really excited that I've, I've only worked with people in the States. So these are not like children suffering in <laughs> Malaysia. And, um, a lot of the times these are like, uh, people who should be making more but unfortunately aren't like one of my friends who's a school teacher he paints stuff for me on the side and okay yeah and like it's actually kind of like lucrative and good for him and i get you know 50 zombies yeah that's awesome are they somewhere that you can appreciate them yes they're in menageries and like you know if you you know it's where i keep all the souls of the children i keep them bound in hundreds of minis um yeah, it's at my phylactery. Um, yeah, no, I have like, uh, I'll, I'll cruise the like uh, secondhand stores for like granny menageries where you would put like, you know, like a kid skipping with a pie. You know okay. what I'm talking about? Yeah. Those hum- what are those called? Humble? Hum- what are they? The- I don't know. There was like term. a South Park episode about an old folks home. I don't know. Anyway, there were these little figurines that the old people were trading as currency. Anyway. (laughs) Yeah. Deep cut. Um, yeah. So it's like that kind of stuff that you would have like family photos in, except for me, it's like a shelf of orcs, a shelf of dwarves, a shelf of dragons. Yeah. It's, uh, it's crazy. But, um, yeah, we look at it. Like my house is pretty much filled with this sort of crap. Okay, cool. So now let's talk a little bit about how you deploy them in a game. Now, now <laughs> sure. in your in your modern state as master dungeon master. Yeah, all right. And, and I see on Instagram, I know you. Yeah. You, you make beautiful, oh, just environments, right? So people can be fully immersed. Yeah. But do you craft stories? Like, are you ever like, ah, I, I want to get fifty zombies out. I'm gonna put together a zombie story. The good. So so I I never if I have a good hook for a D&D session. I am usually inspired to do that work. Plus the the therapy of coming home at night and not 
getting in front of a screen yeah. immediately, but instead having to actually pluck 50 zombies out of the menagerie and put it out and build the Dwarven Forge to put it on. And, yeah. and then sometimes I have to ship that Dwarven Forge to a friend's house. Like, I'm not running a D&D game in my own residence right now. Okay. So I'll do a build on a four foot by two foot, uh, you know, piece of plywood, and it might weigh like 80 pounds and then I plastic wrap it, <laughs> shove it in the back of my Jeep and then have to drive it into the Hollywood Hills, which is like, you know, yeah. Transylvania roads, you know, where you're just like cars teetering off the edge and, you know, Disney-esque fashion. You might run into a horse up there. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And then, you know, and then deploying it. So I'm, I'm all in. If the idea is good and I think it's going to look beautiful. Um, cause I love seeing those likes on Instagram. I, I mean, yeah. not, not for the popular, I, it's just people appreciating the, the craftsmanship that yeah. goes into it in this weird sub level of the game. Yeah. Um, and a lot of people put a lot of hard work into those minis too. Like, you know, some of it is mine. A lot of it is the production painters I work with, but I just want, I just want people to see that stuff. Yeah. Now in, you're, you're using the term Dwarven Forge for the landscape. Is yeah, that that's right? a brand of, okay. of terrain. Um, there was a m- many successful Kickstarters, a company um, located in New York. Um, I can't remember where the new facility is, but I know they're still in New York. Um, maybe Bushwick, I want to say. Okay. Um, this guy, Stefan Picorni, uh, is the founder and he sort of was this incre- this crazy visionary a very sweet human being. And, and the story as it's told is he was working at one of those small factories that would make the like Santa Claus, like, like, like uh, Christmas ornaments. Okay. Where, where they were still employed, like having people paint up Santa's hat. Yeah. You know, like, okay. You're the hat guy. I'm the glove guy, you know? And he convinced, uh, and I'm probably butchering his name and I apologize, but he convinced his boss. He's like, Hey man, you know, there's this game. It's kind of popular. Look, we have everything in this little factory here to make a couple dungeon hallways. Why don't you let me sculpt you up some cool dungeon oh, hallways? Oh, nice. And the boss was clever enough to be like, sure, what are we going to do? He's like, then we're going to go to Gen Con and we're just going to see if they sell. And if they don't, don't worry about it. I'm back to painting Santa Claus. You know, yeah. that's it. But if they do sell, and then they went to Gen Con, they sold out in like an hour. And like, so these are basically just sort of like pre made walls, and you can kind of snap them together in all sorts of different ways. Like Legos for Dungeons and Dragons. Okay. Yeah. Caverns and, and, and caves. Uh, well, that's the same thing. Okay. And like uh, sewers and then dungeons. Oh, no, the same thing again. No, but you know what? You get the idea. <laughs> yeah, it's lots like, of different pieces. And, and then, yeah. And so I would come home, and, and it's lovely building this and not like watching TV until, say, you know, Jess and I want to actually watch an episode of True Detective. And then yeah. it's like purposeful date night sort of thing. Instead but, of just uh, being uh, yeah. large zombies, instead of miniature zombies, and just being like, yeah, Let's that's watch right. the television. Which, I mean, and I love TV, but it's a great break. I have this physical analog thing I yeah. get to do. And uh, it does take a lot of work. You know, one of my sessions takes probably about six hours of build time. Oh really? Yeah, but that's I I split it up across the week. It's not okay. like at one go. I yeah. might maybe if I'm inspired I'll do like 2 hours in one go, but an hour here an hour there and yeah. it's just great. Cool. So you were telling me a little bit about how the miniatures uh let people focus on the story because you're not debating the distance and the mechanics. But sure. what else that that's kind of uh, that helps get rid of a distraction. But what do they really add? I mean, they're aesthetically beautiful, but when you're telling a story and suddenly your your players turn a character and five dragons are actually right there. What does that add for you? Five dragons on the table? I mean, like... (laughs) A little bit of an exaggeration. No, no, I can put ten dragons on the table. Like, I guess for me, that, like, I can hit that mark. But are you saying at what point do you 
cross over into not no longer having enough plastic to throw no, on the table? I, no, or? I'm, I'm asking about it from like the narrative dramatic sense. Like you're you're a really good storyteller. Uh, Thank you. You can tell with that. So what is it? What do you feel like it adds to the like storytelling experience for for players to see that the threat when they turn a corner and they know there's going to be a threat there, but they haven't seen it yet, and bam, it goes down on the table. How does that add to the storytelling for you? I think it like it's like it's like the curtain parting at yeah. the beginning of a play. I think there's that calm where I'm describing, you know, the sound of like leathery leathery wings in the distance, you know, like you know the smell of sulfur rising off of freshly burnt trees, and they're like, oh. yeah. and everyone's starting to see the foreshadowing at work here, claw marks far bigger than that of a grizzly, you know, yeah. on and on and on, and then bam, I slam that mini on the table, <laughs> and they're like. You know they're dropping f bombs and they're yeah. and they're and they're I think they're you know hopefully goose pimples and they're excited and you know if it's painted well and it's a beautiful mini curated from like a cool company that has great sculpts it's going to you know just be this big wow moment I don't think it and I don't think it completely paves over what they're seeing in their mind yeah I think that also exists at the same time and place yeah because when you're describing you know, um, the dragon as it swoops in out of like, you know, dark clouds and, and you know, lightning, you know, th- flashes across the sky. People will see that even while they're seeing, you know, the mini on the table. Yeah. So I don't think it's one or the other. It's country and Western. Yeah, that's as, awesome. As the philosopher said. <laughs> but I can see how it would make it just more visceral and real of there's a dragon right there and you're, you're thinking about that rather than squabbling about who who is actually in what position of the door and like instead of immediately gamifying it you're staying in the story because the the thing you're facing is real yeah i think so and by the way just because i know this was me back in time if i heard this conversation i would be like dude i have two dollars right and i would get really pissed (laughs) the the greatest thing you can have you can have all of this with a wipe away you know, hex or, or yeah. grid grid map, you know, some, some of those wipe away expo markers, you know, a damp paper towel and d- even drawing rudimentary shapes yeah. of dragon of, of this is where your character is of this is where, and then if you want to get really creative, you can print stuff out off the internet. Yeah. There's a lot that can be done today where you can have this too, like for ba- almost free. Um, and I suggest trying it out if you haven't. Yeah. Yeah. No, that makes a lot of sense to me because I haven't done a ton of playing with miniatures, but my main role playing has been, uh, Call of Cthulhu and I had a really good game master back in Minneapolis. And I remember just the additional like adrenaline when he would just put a piece of paper that had literally a rectangle drawing of the room we're in, because that's that moment where you know, bam, shit is real. We're in trouble. Something is going to happen and and it matters exactly where we are. Every millisecond and every little movement matters. And you're right, you can get that experience with beautiful miniatures or a piece of paper. I once fought... Is it pronounced Tindalos, the Hounds of Tindalos? Tindalos, I think. Tindalos? Okay, yeah. The interdimensional dogs, right? They come through 90 degree angles. Yeah, I would like Tindalus. That's all right, man. I've been ruining that one for years. Well, who knows? I could be wrong. No, no. I think think you're probably closer. Um, My friend Joseph Limbaugh knows like all the pronunciations. (laughs) And I'm like, I'm like, all right. Also, they are unspeakable, horrible things from other dimensions. I don't think they come in and go, actually, it's Cthulhu. But uh, I have a lot of, now that's one of those things where I wonder, I have a ton of Kickstarter um, Cthulhu miniatures and like from various board games, right? You know, and. And I'm like, I wonder if I would, I guess, I think it would still be just as horrifying because really it's in the description of, you know, this thing peeling through reality yeah. out of 90 degree corners of rooms and like defying time and space. That's the scary part. And then if I could put like a really creepy, you know, Hound of Tindalos 
like down, I think it would, I think, you know, what? I've just convinced myself. I think, yeah, you, it's really comes down to beautiful sculpts, meaning the artist who actually crafted the mini really cared. Yeah. Just like any sculptor put some attention to it. And then, um, the, the painting, if you paint it, which of course you can choose not to, you can just run these things as gray plastic and they still look great most of the time. So yeah, we've been talking a lot about uh, your collection of what would be monsters or antagonists. Do your players have uh, minis of themselves of their characters? Oh, for sure. And yeah. Are, do you provide those? Do your players provide those in your current games? Sometimes. So back in the day, I would. I was on the hook for a lot of it. <laughs> then I met um, uh, a great guy who uh, who also works at Riot named Odin Schaefer. Um, just wrote this amazing comic book. Um, called Ash War Mother. I want to give that some love. Cool. Um, yeah, it's out. Please read it. Marvel imprint. Very proud. Um, and he turned out to have been, he was in a previous life, a games workshop painter. He worked for GW, oh, the people who make Warhammer. And he was employed as a painter. And he's, he was actually the first guy to school me. He was like, hey, man, your highlights are terrible. And I was like, <laughs> oh, he doesn't talk like that. But like, and I was like, oh, no, there's all this stuff to learn. So then he started painting some of the minis for our group. And then he started painting. And then he was like, you know what? My contribution to the group is I'm going to paint all of the characters for the players. And we, we have some great ones. Like, yeah, uh, I'll be sure to repost some photos of them. Uh, And, uh, and it just, yeah. So people are, it's like, you know, it's rock soup. People are pitching in where they can. And now in my current game, everyone is a professional of, of, uh, with enough money to either paint it themselves or have someone do it. So that's kind of like the, mandate okay so yeah byom bring your own it's like yeah it's like you know pick the one you like the best make sure it's in this model scale range you know 35 millimeter to 38 millimeter okay and and show up and have fun does having an awesome mini for your character make it harder when when and if your character dies have you had that experience where it's like extra painful like oh man i'm taking my beautiful mini off the table so my previous home game um, is a group we, we call ourselves the murder hobos. I think we <laughs> knew what we were all getting into when yeah. I said, hey, you know, uh, this is going to be hardcore old school D&D. There's going to be a lot of party death. The dice are going to be rolled out in front of the screen, not behind the screen. Okay. And it's just going to be gnarly. And um, and so, but I think we all were like, oh, well, then we're going to see a new beautiful miniature next time. And I get to make a cool new character. And we had this very... Our expectations were managed in such a way where okay. it was like, fine. <laughs> and then, like, rumor of our group got out into Los Angeles, into, the, like, the – because there's a bunch of D&D groups here. There's uh, Death Saves, which I'm a part of, and DM4, which is Joe Manganello's group. Nice. And then there's um, the the Lads, which is Kyle Newman's group. And, uh, um, and, and, and they all have different flavors and play styles. But, like, I guess people just accept that when they play in a – murder hobos or murder hobos adjacent <laughs> game that yeah like they might lose their beloved character yeah mini's gonna go yeah i mean that's sort of yeah i'm a firm believer in there cannot be true victory without loss yeah and um you know when i like when i think about video games i like i play games like dark souls and escape from uh, tarkov and and these weird fringy games but yeah. uh yeah i think that it's important you know yeah i think yeah for me like again going back to that cthulhu experience i've had characters die for sure. And it, I think I almost would have felt better if I had this little representation of them because it would have almost been like, oh, they're up on my shelf. Like that's yeah. that's their fucking gravestone. The totem. Like, yeah, the totem. of yeah, they, right. they lived and it mattered for yeah. a very short time. Professor McGillicuddy, <laughs> who should not have read the Libra Bonus. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, lots of horrible, 
horrible things have but happened. But now he knows the truth of the many worlds, and <laughs> the king in yellow has him forever in his menagerie. So, yeah, oh, yeah. it all works. Mm-hmm. <laughs> all, all, almost all of those things have happened to me. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Uh, so... I want to get a, a little bit into the actual miniature. You've talked about like the good, a good sculpt, the good yep. paint. Like, what at this point in you having so many, seen so many, what makes you go like, oh man, that's that's a beautiful mini, right? So actually, um, there's a game called Kingdom Death Monster, which is maybe fortunately or unfortunately not in the same scale as D and D minis. It's a little bit bigger. It's this baroque horror board game it's like 28 pounds of board game right it's like it's this it's a 400 dollars board game okay right and um 28 yeah it's basically the prog rock of board games okay it's the king crimson right (laughs) and um it's ridiculous and it comes with all of these minis and they're brilliant um it's a lot of it is like body horror and um issues with um I would say Parenthood, like Eraserhead, sort of has some of those issues running yeah. through it. I think Kingdom Death has some of that going on, too, like the anxiety of becoming a parent, etc. And um, a lot of sort of uh, Hieronymus Bosch kind of like angles and uh, call-outs to the manga berserk, etc. And, and they have the best. And their sculpts, I don't know if it's Studio McVeigh or what have you, but I know there's, a, there's, there's this contingency of brilliant European sculptors who are hired to do these sculpts. And okay. uh, my friend Matt... Um, uh, and teacher, uh, he he knows some of these cats. So I think a lot of it's coming from Europe. The best stuff is coming from Europe right now. Okay. And is it just because they're more creative and they're different creations I think than it's your because, standard kind of... No, no. I think it's because... Not to step on you. I'm sorry. No, uh, no, no. It, I think it's because they... they if we go back to the top of the show, it's like it's been with them longer, right? Okay. So they had these board games like Kriegspiel, and we're talking... You know, pre World War One, right? Yeah. We're talking like you know, Jules Verne was like had a, a a game based off of Kriegspiel called Little Wars, which I think is just maybe what that means in English. And um, this has been a part of like European society, and then of course sculpture going back even further. And yeah. I think you just start to see, you know, um, a lot of uh, you know intersecting moments where these art forms are like we can make seriously cool minis because we make seriously cool statues and art is art and it doesn't yeah. really matter. And I, I think that's why we're seeing this flashpoint, but there's a lot of good stuff also coming from South America. Um, and, uh, you know, Kingdom Death is an American product, but I know that they're sourcing their talent okay. elsewhere, but, uh, which is long it's good. cultural history. Yeah. I think it's good curation and, and there's a, luckily there's a there's a uh, cool mini or not is another company that sources really great minis <laughs> um they make a bunch of really cool board games um designed by eric lang and uh uh adrian smith doing the art who previously uh, worked with warhammer and i think i don't know who's doing their sculpts but i i bet you also it's probably a studio mcveigh they just do really great sculpts so when they get concept art from adrian they can sculpt it and then they can make a you know, a mold of it and recreate it so that when I order, you know, my box set, yeah, it looks like the image. It looks you know? exactly like the image. Yeah, okay, it really does. cool. Yeah. So, but that took me a while to figure out who was doing what. Who is doing what? Okay. So it really is about the quality of the the actual design and the the sculpt for you that that makes you go, wow, that's amazing. Yeah. I kind of yeah. You know, I it's all business, and I get that, but it does break my heart when I walk into the game store and I see. You know, a blind box for the latest, you know, um, you know, role playing game yeah. expansion. And I and I open it up and 
you know, it's like, hey, here's a bugbear and a pig and like a lady with a scimitar, but and it's like droopy, melty, not holding its form. Okay, you know, like, and that that bums me out. And I hope that they find solutions because I know that uh, it's like, you know, you want to keep the price down so you can get it to everybody, right? And but but also like. You know, I, I, nothing is sadder than a droopy, poorly painted <laughs> mini. And I, I think that's a lot of what I've seen. That makes sense of what makes them amazing or not, because you can imagine that sort of, oh, is that a part of that character's chin or shoulder? Well, it all goes together. Yeah, well, while we were painting the scimitar, we also painted her face. And it's like, eh. <laughs> Why <painted>? not? Yeah. <laughs> She's a robot ninja. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah. I mean, it's, it's a bummer. But like I, I say, I think there's going to be, Big solutions coming in the yeah. near future. Okay, cool. Let's talk about the painting experience for you. So oh, you, sure. you you've studied at the hands of masters. Yeah. What what makes painting good? Is it just like actual painting technique. techniques? It is yeah. technique. Yeah. So um, when like for example, I had a friend who was like, "Hey, I want to paint this wizard, and this wizard's got to have a bunch of glowy bits because he's a wizard." <laughs> How do I do glowy bits? I was like, hold on, man. And I was like, do you know about like, you know, like, uh, like, uh, you know, priming and creating lighting techniques? Uh, I think it's called zenithal lighting. I probably am slurring that as well. But basically, also where you... a Cthulhu monster. Yeah. <laughs> zenithal. The zenithal. The five. The fifth planet. Yeah. <laughs> no. And like, uh, so you take a mini. And most people just blast that mini with some, you know, P3 primer, some okay. black spray paint primer. And they're like, cool, I'm ready to put on my flesh tones. Um, the first thing I learned is actually you hit that black primer now with a 45 degree angle spray of white. Ooh. So you draw out all of the detail so you can actually see what you're painting, ah. one benefit. And then two, by actually having the white primer hitting where you might be like spotlighting it in your imagination, um, you are you are already starting to plan out your highlights. You're already starting to plan out like, and then you would do this for if a wizard was holding his hand out. Yeah. You would make that hand really bright white if it's emanating a magical power and that way when you do revisit it with you know colors and washes and what have you they will be brighter than the rest of the mini and it starts to become this like science and you're like okay this makes sense you know it's like um you know this is how like like this is how this is a lesser version of how rembrandt would do metal colors without using metal pigments yeah because when you look at the armor in like a rembrandt you're like my god that's silver and it's not right there's no metallic pigment this is just worked up lighting technique until it looks this way yeah You're, and this is sort of like the baby simplest version <laughs> of that okay baby rembrandt yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> baby baby rembrandt adjacent yeah does it feel like artistic expression to you because obviously uh for a poorly made mini it, can, it could be like uh we just get this factory kind of roll out sure but, but you're sitting there and you're making choices you're making color theory choices you're making highlight choices if you're making that wizard's hand glow you're making sort of narrative choices within the little bit of artwork that is the thing does it feel like you're that each mini is a little piece of art to you they're they're absolutely art so before um i was writing or dming my parents uh had me an art program sculpting oh and so i i deeply love uh, sculpture. I love Rodin. I love all these, you know, uh, you know, I love Ray Harryhausen, you yeah. know, the stop motion artist. Yeah. And all of it to me is, it all triggers this deep love. And this love, of course, flows back into toy yeah. and toy attic play and all this stuff that we've kind of already addressed. And so, yeah, they're pieces of art. And when I create a mini or when I'm looking for an artist to partner with, 
Um, I've got this one artist called Malev, um, and he's on Instagram. Um, you know, I, I'll give him a shout out at the end of the show when I look up the the right IG. But like <laughs> when I was watching this guy's paint, I was like, this guy's he gets it. Like he's yeah. like serious about you know painting minis. And so if I send him or build a color scheme with him, he's not going to disappoint. And so yeah, you know, it's like uh, it's the curation of art and the creation of art. Yeah, cool, cool. Uh, how would you feel if you could play on a life size version of all this stuff? Like a hollow deck, yeah, not no physically real. Oh, like if if you were able to just go out somewhere uh, in, in huge hangar somewhere and build up an actual dungeon, you still had the beautifully sculpted and painted minis, but they were actually life size. Sure, would that be cool to you, or is it something about you are looking down as this the giant overlord. god on the yeah on the little version of this? No, universe? no. <laughs> While the overlord is dope, <laughs> and look for his mixtape dropping next Monday, dropping because um, he's over you. There's a park in Utah that was created by some ex Imagineers, and I don't remember the name. And it is sort of this idea of a Disney. Imagineered level LARP slash game with a continuing narrative. Okay. And I th- I'm going to go one day and give it yeah. a shot. It's got a little too much steampunk for me. I'm just going right, to throw that right. out there. I too understand. many monocles. I, I, I freak out when I see too many monocles. <laughs> you never know when they're going to fall out in yeah. shock. Yeah. Someone screams Zeppelin, you know, the casual racism <laughs> of the era. It's like, I don't know if this is good, right? You guys are, you know, this was a bad era for people. Anyway, I know, yeah, well, there's a robot in it now. Okay. It's a genre. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, I think. I would definitely love a dungeon going experience. And I think for me, the only way to make it, you know, I would do the static 2019 version, but I would want the holodeck. I, okay. would, I would want the Star Trek next generation. Okay. And then, yeah, I'd probably die in that thing. <laughs> right. You would never want to leave. That's an episode of Red Dwarf, right? Where they're oh, right. stuck in It's a Wonderful Life or something. Oh, man. It's been so long since I've seen oh, Red sorry. Dwarf. Yeah, I think so. I yeah. think there's an episode oh, of Red Dwarf awesome. where it's like they, the person won't get out because it's just. Yeah. Yeah. So it makes sense to to want to have the experience of you get to go in and you get to be the mini, but but as the dungeon master, would would you feel like lost in your own world if everything was the same size as you? Do you? Oh, you, you mean know? I'm still the DM of this? thing? Yeah. Oh man, would it that be just weird? No, I'm so. Back in the day, I helped a friend um, write some narratives for a vampire, the masquerade, LARP, and. Um, I know people are into that, and yeah. and it was a cool experience to watch it unfold. And I even played a character once called the Batet, who was like <laughs> apparently a very bad dude and was well received. He was a very nasty vampire, but um, I, I that was the, my problem with it. I was like, we're in a Hilton, you know, those fangs are garbage, you know, like you know, I I smell weird. I've been here for ten hours, right? This is Batet smells. This yeah. is not what I. Yeah, you know, this Does is not Batet smell like Doritos. This, I don't know. This is not the vampire. A lore I was sold. Yeah. Yeah, I stink. You're eating a hot dog. <laughs> anyway, yeah. So I think uh, for me, it's, um, yeah, it, it could become jarring if it's not done well. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It seems to me there is some power of making the overlord jokes, but it, that's it's the power of creation. Art is the power of creation, and you are get, get to look down on it and manipulate it and see it from I, an aerial view. I mean, yeah, I mean, I think it's just... Uh, I think it's primal. I don't know if it's an art thing or if it's just a primitive monkey thing. I'm serious, <laughs> yeah. right? Like it's like you know, what, you put a little kid in the backyard, they're gonna pick up a stick and a rock and they're gonna make something out of it, or you know. And I think like our 
playing with toys is really what it's about. It's not so much the the um, you know the mastermind over the art. It's yeah. like I think we're just still doing this primal. It all leads to primal storytelling. Yeah, and I think that's why it hasn't changed. Cool, cool. Yeah, and that wouldn't change regardless of the size of the minis, right? Wouldn't yeah. I mean because you, like I, you know when I walked into your apartment <laughs> and I saw the the carcasses of all the Star Wars toys <laughs> in the corner. The no, no, that's yeah. it's, it's they're laid out in a very sort of shrine like fashion. I mean, like, do you want a life size Luke? I mean, or are you like this is one's good for my life this yeah one i like i would inches. like one but e- yeah even if i had if i was just a bizarre eccentric billionaire uh and i had all the room to have 500 life-size action figures i wouldn't want them i'd maybe like want one or two because i find them absurd like one boba fett like life-size. one bo- like which they have at the disney store oh which, dude i know yeah I oh watch. my god that's so it, yeah well and it's partially just funny because it's like you know that you it's the re- recreation of the Kenner three and three quarter. So oh, it's, really? Yeah. So, oh, oh, so like you could make an amazing life-size Boba Fett action figure with uh, modern technology, but I love that they made a giant-sized version of this clunky thing. Oh, that's hilarious. From 1980. Wow, nostalgia is a powerful drug. Yeah, yeah. Um, I want to get into a little bit of the modern because you've mentioned it, and I, I uh, want to touch on that. So I know that people can order kind of custom order minis. Yeah. Do you have one of yourself? Have you made one of yourself? Or oh, just would like you? a me of like Dumpy Ryan Vernier, <laughs> like the, yeah, the the the, the, tr- the half. I'm like a half dwarf, I think. Right. <laughs> yeah. I've got shoulders, but I'm all torso, tiny legs. Um, no, uh, I, you're talking about Hero Forge and those companies, and I think it's a great idea. And eventually, the poses will become more dynamic, and we'll see sculpts that i'm into but right now their aesthetic which i think is a a choice that they're making it leans a little bit world of warcraft for my tastes a little bit blocky a little bit chunky it looks good from three feet away which is where you're experiencing a miniature yeah because it's like it's on the table three feet away from you so you kind of want to call out and accentuate certain pieces I'm I'm just like a pretentious snob. Okay. And I'm like, yeah, I mean, I rather like, you know, when I get up there and I'm taking photos for Instagram, I want it to look really good then. Um, whether or not I can tell where this thing's head is, not super vital during the course of play because I'm yeah. focused on the dungeon master or I am the dungeon master. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, but you think that 3D printing is going to allow everybody to be able to yeah. customize and make these more affordable and accessible soon? Without a doubt. Okay. Without a doubt. I, the only problem is, uh, from what I understand, I don't own a 3D printer because apparently, you know, you can gas yourself to death with one. <laughs> yeah, they're not, yeah, they're not all the way there. And then, you know, if you have a cat and it bumps up against it, you'll just get a spaghetti monster in the morning when you're like, this is supposed to be a dungeon door. Um, yeah. <laughs> I mean, like, you know, so it's not there yet. But cat uh, just walking up and yeah. smacking it once. Yep. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, but I think, yes, in the future, near future. Yeah, um, not like, uh, yeah, I think in the next five to ten years, like this will be just the thing that okay. Dungeon Master's like, got to print up a dragon for tonight's game. Brank. Yeah. And then you can kind of just custom order it. And it might even be able to be colored. It. You know, yeah. I mean, when you think about what Photoshop can do and then what this technology is going to do, you might literally press a button, make that dragon, and then you might resubmerge that dragon into your like acid pit and return it to its primordial origins and like not have the dragon anymore oh, but have the media 
Yeah, so there's all sorts. Of, who knows? That would be powerful if you're playing and your characters destroy the dragon and you just or, pick it up and just yeah. turn it into now, now molten I need five pewter. Yeah. yeah, or molten plastic or yeah. whatever. I, I I think we don't know how that cookie's going to crumble, but I think uh, it's going to look um, a lot like Slime Lords from 1983. <laughs> no, I, no, no, I don't. I don't even know if that's what those creatures were called. There were yeah. some horrible things that. Remember when slime was like a major selling point oh, for yeah. toys? Yeah, everything. I, there's a Jabba on the shelves right now at Target that makes slime. And like, really? Wow. Is that. Do we really. I don't. You know, I don't need every character to vomit, but. It's not. A, I mean, I don't have a problem with it. It's 2019. <laughs> people can live the way they live and love the way you want to. I don't mean to shame vomit players. No, no we don't uh, want to do that. People, people. want to make uh, Java slime himself. You go for it. Uh, <laughs> so miniatures, to me, uh, by their nature, they are posed in an epic moment, right? Like, are the best miniatures like frozen in a moment of That's a good awesomeness, question. or are they more like statues of the selves in the most dignified pose like i like so it depends on so so man i'm so greedy it's embarrassing like this is my thing this is my greedy thing like yeah. i'm not gonna die in a pit of diamonds and it's gonna be a pit of miniatures <laughs> but like i love a miniature when it's just like some guy leaned up against a corner you know like strider like okay. sitting in that one booth in the in the prancing pony yeah it, like i love miniatures that are just kind of casually there in the background but Probably for a PC, a player character, uh, it's going to be a bit more dynamic. Yeah. But I have seen classic poses of just like the fighter holding the sword and kind of giving you the who the fuck are you look. <laughs> that's fine, too. I mean, it's more of a reflection of the player. Yeah. You know? Um, and uh, I, I find beauty in all of them. I mean, seriously, like if um, if I wasn't, if I hadn't been such a chicken as a kid, I probably would have really committed to sculpture. Yeah. And I'd be nice and broke now. Sculpting my own minis, maybe. But like making, like, I really just made the responsible it. choice and followed Dungeons and Dragons <laughs> to success. <laughs> yes, I guess. But yeah, really getting your hands in clay and making something and sculpting. You know, you don't always want to be sculpting epic moments. Sometimes you just want to sculpt, you know, like a woman, you know, reclining in a chair. Yeah. You know, and like they speak to you our experience right and even though D and games like kingdom death and, and and call of cthulhu are about extra special moments they also have their quiet moments yeah if you're doing it right oh yeah you need the quiet moments so why should this this should be reflected in the art surrounding yeah well. yeah so if there was going to be a mini of you what pose would you want for yourself oh shit I'd be like, what pose would I want for myself? That's an interesting one. Like sleeping? No. Um, I think, honestly, um, it would probably be one of either great confusion, which you can imagine, right? Head scratching, sort of hand on hip. Or it would be me looming over a game table. Oh, you know? so it would, nice. It would almost look like a wizard, but, yeah. you know. Oh, I like that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. For listeners, you, you you did full Jack Kirby fingers that was, looming over. That was Bella Lugosi. But... Bella Lugosi? Oh, yeah. Right. Like, Bella Lugosi drawn by Jack Kirby. <laughs> no, okay, fair enough. Like, all right, good enough, good enough. Yeah. It's like, and yeah, so that's, uh, I think that would be it. It would be like a, almost the pose from the original, uh, technically not original, uh, or I guess it is the first uh, Dungeons and Dragons Dun- DM's guide, the one where it's a uh, a picture of the wizard kind of Ooh, parting the doors. Nice, um, yeah, something like that. We're gonna move on to our how obsessed are you questions. Uh, so these are questions, of course. I ask all sorts of different variations of them to all my guests. Do you think about miniatures every day? Yes. Yeah. 
even if you're not, I mean, they're all over your home, but even if you're not like painting or working with them, are they on your mind just conceptually? Yeah, they're in my social media feeds. You yeah. know, I follow a lot of miniature painters and it, it just brings me such joy. You know, you walk out of some crappy development meeting and you're like, okay, that sucked. And yeah. then I'm like, oh, cool, an orc. You know, so yeah, you know, like it's a great way to balance things out. Okay. Yeah. That's awesome. Uh, so I think we kind of addressed this, but I want to drill down a little bit more. When people walk into your home, can they immediately see the miniatures? Yes. Is it? Is it? There's yes. no avoiding the miniatures? No, it's like a local meme in town. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah, Do, you, like, kids in the na- neighborhood know it's miniature house? Uh, it's not just... No, it's amongst friends. And, like, so I've been to some business meetings where they're like, oh, you're the miniatures guy. And oh, like, damn. Yeah, okay. okay. And I think people... Uh, yeah, in most cases, it's a celebration. Every so often, it's like some bro executive who's like, I'm going to shame you. I'm like, you're not getting it, homie. Yeah, nice try. We, we run this town. <laughs> you're the dinosaur. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's all right. That's all right. That's like a minority. That doesn't happen a lot. Yeah, yeah. But it still does happen. So are they're, they're right there in your main living room when, yeah. when somebody walks you in. Walk into the, the menageries are there. Yeah, it's like right next to Conan's Atlantean Blade. Okay. Yeah, which we were given for our wedding by a friend. That's awesome. Yeah, um, it's um, yeah, it's the two swords uh, from Conan. I, technically, I guess there's three if you count the father. Yeah, and it's like stuffed bats and like okay. you know the the original poster from Flash Gordon and Ralph uh, Bakshi's Lord of the Rings. Oh, yeah, nice. you're not. There's no. Okay, confusion. there's no subtlety about where you are. No, no, it's like <laughs> a lot of dead rodents and spiders <laughs> and D and D miniatures. Awesome. Uh, would you get a tattoo of a favorite miniature? Technically have. I have, well, it's not a miniature, but it's a big statue of Nosferatu Zod from the Berserk manga. Okay. Which is, which is Ooh, on my arm. Damn, yeah. yeah. Okay. But he also makes for a great Balrog stand in. He's like a foot tall. Okay. And he's made out of polystone. He's a statue, but I, I will throw him down when I need like demon lord so technically already have technically technically okay i mean that's very cool but i would never look at that and go that's a tattoo of a miniature that's all right i mean i would tell you (laughs) (laughs) like what is that weird thing i guess what i'm interested in is there's you know there's a kind of image that would be iconic and even people who just know a little bit about it go that's that is a little it's yeah it's to scale it's like the night like you were talking about like a knight with the sword at the ready something where like would you want that on your body, or do you feel like you have that in the totem of the real thing that you don't need I think it on you your just body? Inspired a tattoo. I'm not even joking. <laughs> so like the, I think it's the old TSR logo had like a sort of sketchy wizard. Like yeah. it was like this little sketched out wizard. I might get that really tiny as like a hand tattoo. That's okay. a real like like you know like something like prison style between like the thumb and forefinger. Yeah. That would be pretty cool. Yeah, that's where awesome. I roll the dice from. And oh, so it would be like the wizard's always yeah, yeah. power and yeah. the roll instead of Satan, you know, which is who <laughs> usually rolls the dice. Yeah, Satan's busy, man. I'm busier, With, busier every day. The popularity of D and D has really oh, put I Satan know. to work. I'm a lot, a lot. <laughs> that's actually an episode you should do one day. You should do an episode on the Satanic Panic. Yeah, I, you know, that might be fun. I maybe get you and a couple other friends who are very interested and, and knowledgeable about that in specific because it is so it's fascinating we, yeah like absurd. a panel show about the satanic yeah panic would be awesome that we'll do it That's all right great. i'm in um all right moving on on the how obsessed if there was a breakfast cereal called miniatures would you buy and eat it i mean yeah like <laughs> i just first of all i can see i can hear my mom being like what what 
I'd be like, yeah, mom, it's called miniatures. It's marshmallow flavored and mint. And and yeah, like I would eat it. Yeah, I ate every minute. Like every time a cartoon or toy made cereal. Yeah. I ate it. No yeah. matter how terrible. There Just to like, be closer to the thing you loved, right? Yeah. And they were bad. Yeah. It was all the same stuff. It was all the same stuff. And I was just like, this one kind of looks like Bobby from the Dungeons and Dragons cartoon. I'm in. <laughs> yeah. Like, and then, like, yeah. So, yes. I can remember the squeak of the marshmallows on my teeth from the Batman 89 cereal. Dude, what, what, were, what did we eat? <laughs> Anything to be closer to Batman. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Fandom is a powerful, powerful it thing. It really is. Uh, would you want to have a miniature themed birthday party? Already have. Okay. Well, yeah. so how did it? How was it structured? Was it that everybody brought their miniatures? Was it an introduction? It was a painting. It was, it was a, a painting. painting party. It was like let's get together and paint. And, and it was that's your what all I want to do for my birthday. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and it was nice, and it was small. It was a couple of friends, and you know, it just we watched Hawk the Slayer and like <laughs> and crawl, and we just like you know you don't get too far. It's like you prime. Yeah. You paint a cloak, and then suddenly you're just laughing at Hawk the Slayer and how stupid it is. <laughs> uh, yeah. So is that when you say you don't get too far? I know it takes time. Well, that's but the is thing. it not a social thing ultimately because it's too detailed? So it takes a lot of focus, or at least it does for me. So I will watch marathons of Doctor Who. You know, uh, you know, if you're if you're actually technically proficient and you're trying to bang out a mini quickly, you're going to be hitting it with a blow dryer to try to get it to cure and dry faster so you can move on to the next step. OK, it becomes a real science of, you know, like these classic artists who are like, if I'm going to achieve this level of saffron in this painting, this alcohol needs to be this diluted. This next step needs to be this diluted. I need to have, like, you know, peaches. Like, like it was like alchemy, right? Yeah. And, and so there's a lot of weird alchemy to the techniques of, of miniature painting. And so it's not like crack and bruise with the bros. You know, yeah. it's like you're going to be focused. And, um, you know, the only exception is like if my, if, uh, you know, if my wife needs my attention for like something serious or she's just admiring it, that doesn't throw me off, but I wouldn't want to have yeah. a conversation. Okay. Um, you know, Yeah. So obviously it requires that. Is that a part of your love that it requires that level of focus and just disappearing into this one specific task? Yeah, I think I think if if there's a through line to all these conversations we've had, well, I guess really just two, but we know it, we've spoken outside yeah. <laughs> of here. It's um, my need for focus. You know, I have. You know, I don't even know if this is, you know, I don't know what the, I, you know, it used to be called ADHD or hyperactivity, and and you know, some, you know, I needed to to somehow create an environment of discipline and focus that I could use, um, you know, in my professional work and in my private work. And this was one of those ways of doing it. Yeah. And so I think it's really, you know, it's, um, it's kind of a church or temple experience yeah. for me. Um, it's, um, it's, a it's a sort of boredom that I want to partake in. Oh, that's a great right? way to say it. Right. Because, uh, it's quiet time. Right. And, um, you know, we used to have institutions that would do this, you know, like like church or temple or what have you, you know, synagogue, etc., mosque, what have you. But like these experiences were down, periods of downtime where you must meditate and kind of quiet the mind and, and, and be bored. Yeah. And I think it's really good for you. Yeah. That's a great way to think about it because I, I, you know, I do a lot of different things. So I get really restless uh, when I have to do a task where I can't multitask. Yeah. And thinking of it, accepting it as... The goal of boredom is yeah. kind of awesome. I mean, uh, one of the things that, you know, 
one of like so when i you know i used to i used to i used to drink like not like like crazy but crazy enough that it got bad you know what i mean and then i said okay let's pump the brakes here um i had what i think people would say is like a bad experience i was like this is a bad experience this should not be repeated this is too much and i started to like look for other resources to sort of explore myself and, and and some of that was buddhism and you know while i was in atlanta there's a great you know there's a great uh, temple there and and this concept of like why we why we feel the need to sort of like alter ourselves when we can sort of achieve uh the sensation of peace and comfort and lack of anxiety through like these other systems right yeah Be it meditation or prayer or what have you and so for me it kind of like uh yeah, it just became a part of that one of that system. Like it became a part of that system of uh, retreating from social media because we're all like cyborgs now. <laughs> we really are. All right, it's like I know the phone is in my pocket, but the phone is not just in my pocket. Oh, it's good like, God, right? No. It's an extension, yeah, of your yourself. Soon it will be physically attached. I mean, it's yeah. getting close with the watch. And so I think, like you know, practicing a period of turning off the noise. Yeah. And self-reflection and ask, like, because when I am painting, I do, it's not just about that wizard's cloak. Like, it is like, you know, was I like a good person today? Or like, did that exchange with that coworker go well? Yeah. Um, Did she feel comfortable and happy working with me? Or is that young man looking up to me? And did I disappoint him today? Like, those thoughts come through when you get into these states. Yeah. And so it's profoundly important beyond just the hobby. Yeah, um, I'm. The, you took us to a place of beautiful calm that I'm going to ruin with this next question. Yes, it's kind of the opposite. I love farts too. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, sorry. Little sidebar. <laughs> How many farts? Um, <clears throat> would you unfollow someone on social media who said mean things about miniatures? I mean, no. I mean, I the, like I said, my greatest armor about the internet is I just don't care. Okay, it's. Just, I mean, so you just scroll through and you get your your happy. Uh, reaction you're happy dopamine from seeing cool miniatures and somebody bitching you just roll past it the mean doesn't register because it's everywhere and it's just it lacks value right now now criticism that's clever and thoughtful and not designed to hurt but to talk and create a, a, a discussion you that that rises you know and so does celebration you know so if someone grows yippee or lull or any of these i just don't see it anymore yeah it's just like <laughs> you know but if someone really says something that's funny or even critical but intellectual that's kind of all i'm i'm just you know humans are good at seeing patterns yeah. right you know and uh even though I do believe there's a face on Mars. Remember, that's what they used to tell us. They're like, we're just good at seeing patterns. It's just three <laughs> rocks. You're all jerks. But no, I th- but and I think we can create filters. We yeah. can create filters in our head where I just like. I just know, just scroll past that. Dude, I don't care. Yeah, I see what it is. Yeah. Okay, cool, cool. Uh, you, you joked a little bit about being buried in a mountain of miniatures. Would you actually want to be buried with a, a miniature that meant something to you? Would you want to take it with you into this sort of uh, end of your life? Mr. Scrimshaw, this is like, okay, so let's talk. We're going to talk about that time I drank too much. We're going to talk about death. It's the miniatures episode, everybody. Um, I don't, so burial, just the concept. I don't know if I want to be buried. Okay. I kind of think like. I kind of, when I think about it, I'm like Viking funeral sounds cool. Yeah, like burn me, man. You know, okay. and then I'm like worried about the ozone layer. But then I don't know. I don't know what the deal is. Just like shove me under an old tree with a mini. That's kind of neat. Yeah, you know. Um, yeah, I mean, I think 
nothing would be cooler than that kid in like 2088 who's like dicking around in their backyard near the old weird tree <laughs> and they're they're like mommy and they find like a human skull and a mini yeah. inside it that's pretty rad okay i would like to facilitate that that is an awesome answer <laughs> like, I mean, <laughs> like, not? i'm not sure but if a kid discovered my skull with a mini somehow inside the skull i mean i know my wife wouldn't be mad she'd be dead too by then but like i think like if we had kids they wouldn't be mad either yeah if they're like, but the data records say that this was Ryan yeah. Vernier, it would be like Dungeon Master would be the next thing on that Google search. Yeah. And I think that would be awesome. That would be awesome. Yeah. And this this is very telling to me that your wrestling with that question is was about the means of what happens to your body when you pass, not yeah. whether or not a miniature should be involved. No, a yeah. Like, I mean, sure, cool, yeah. I uh yeah, I struggle, dude. I struggle like I think graveyards are cool in stories and people fight ghosts in yeah. my D D campaign whenever they go in them and all that fun stuff, but like yeah, I don't know. I yeah. don't know. It's like there's that like uh when you land at JFK and you drive into Manhattan, there's that huge cemetery, and I think it inspired all the art for the Ghost Rider comics in the nineties where it was just oceans of graves. Yeah. And I'm like, that's like spooky and like useless. At the same time, so I'm like, no, nope, sorry, everybody, like, and like, so I, and then, but, and I all, you know, when I, when I visit, when I visit, because uh, we just had the holidays, right? You know, yeah. the holidays have passed. Every, you know, every uh, Christmas, I visit, um, I visit Ewald and I visit Pansy, my grandparents, and they were cremated, and I don't know if it's a healthy trip. Yeah. Although this year I got to say the most New Jersey thing ever. Which was, I turned to Jessica and I said, well, let's just order the pizza from the cemetery. <laughs> and you got it, right? No, no. And so I achieved, like, <clears throat> ultimate New Jersey status in that moment. But but I don't know if the experience of going to this place where they are not actually at yeah. is, like, great when I could go to the park they brought me to. I don't know. Yeah. Maybe it just cuts. I don't know. I'm, yeah. I, I wrestle with these ideas. Of, uh, like, that's understandable. Like, because it's like, you know. It doesn't look good for Bruce Wayne when he's, like, sad, crying in the rain in front of, like, you know, Mama and Papa Wayne's... I don't know. It's, you know, Batman... He never looks happy. He, he does prove that you can be mindful of your parents wherever you are, because Batman's always upset about his parents. He doesn't need to be at the grave to be upset about his parents. <laughs> yeah, exactly. All right. Uh, I'll, I'll put a pin in that. I'm so <laughs> tempted to talk more about it. I'll just say this. It's fascinating that this idea of what totems are valuable uh because like i do have a ridiculous amount of action figures and i've thought about and discussed a lot of like their their value they're making something that is a concept physically real that's what the miniatures are doing and then do gravestones do urns do that or is it a different thing because it's a living being that was real instead of luke skywalker wasn't real he was mark hamill he was an idea, but he is real when he's my little action figure. Well, ideas. Now we're going to go off the beaten path with like Tupla and like the idea of thought creation and like, you know, I, I mean, and the, the totem the, and what it re- what it means, you know, in a religious context. Yeah, I think. Yeah. The second you start talking about any of our behaviors and especially art, you immediately, you know, we're in caves again. When you really reduce it. And yeah. I know it's like, uh, so I think you have to look at um, how these objects and totems and what they mean to it and the significance of, of icon, the significance of um, how our brain works and what we see when we look at an object of art. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's about our experience, right? And even if it's, we're telling fictitious stories, they emulate 
some version of our experience, either desired or otherwise. Yeah. And so, yeah, I mean, you can't, you know, you can't completely untangle those subjects. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, that was a great diversion into uh, meaty, interesting topics. Uh, let's move on to the final uh, How Obsessed Are You question. If a bear grabbed a box of your miniatures and tried to run away with it, would you try to stop the bear? No. <laughs> I mean, if it was an animated bear, okay. I would give it honey. <laughs> if it was clearly a cartoon bear. If it was Paddington. Did you hear about the dude who choked out the cougar? <laughs> no. This just dropped in the news yesterday. Some guy was running, and it was like a mountain lion, a young one, unfortunately, that didn't know how to avoid people, attacked him, bit him on the face, and the dude, like, rear naked, choked it to death. Like, it survived. Like, oh, he's, no. he, well, he, it was murdering him. Yeah, like, okay. And so it was self-defense. But uh, no, I'm not that guy. I kind of feel bad, even though I was like, ah, What's one human? I'm terrible. My God. I'm going to hear. Don't send me. Don't at me. Um, but okay. yeah, I know. I'd let the bear go. You say, you know? bear, enjoy those zombies. Yeah. They'll bring you joy, bear. It's one box. I've got 900. <laughs> okay. Fair enough. I think that is a great answer. Uh, I ask everyone to make a noise to sum up their obsession. What kind of noise comes to mind for miniatures? Oh, that's distinct. It's frustration of oh, really wow. fucking one up. And being like, that was the wrong shade, and now I have to, like, maybe reprime or throw it in some simple green and let the, you know, melt the paint off and start over again. Oh, yeah, I bet that's a tension of the whole process, right? Is you're going along to not have that one missed stroke? What I had to learn, and what all humans need to learn, is you have to surrender to the universe a little bit or completely and Max, uh, you know, this great Polish painter who was staying with me, uh, you know, um, uh, Matt, sorry, I said Max, um, you know, he he was like, you got to just kind of happy accident. You yeah. know, you kind of Bob Ross was right. Like you you can't just you have to surrender and, and go with it because these mistakes can lead you to new, you know, creative um, sort of like uh, opportunity. Yeah. And so I don't end up throwing things in the simple green a lot anymore. That was a mistake I made early on when. My technique was weak, as the Wu-Tang would say. Okay. <laughs> All right. That's a great answer and a great noise. I have everyone rate their obsession. So on a scale of 1 to 50, 50 being the highest, 1 being the lowest, how obsessed do you think you are with miniatures? Man, a man. Like, I mean, a 40. A 40? Okay. Like, just some healthy wiggle room to get therapy yeah. if I need to. <laughs> what would it take to get to that uh, higher level? I think like it would be like that's I think those levels of addiction or obsession are like when you're destroying your family. Okay. <laughs> you you kind of want to be like Walt Disney level obsession. Where okay. you're like, no, no, everything's still okay. <laughs> but we're going to build this theme park in Anaheim, right? It's going to be amazing. All right, Walt, whatever. Yeah. You know, that's the right level of obsession. Okay, where you're still creating, you're still making. You're still creating, but you're not at, not sacrificing everything. Okay. You know? Yeah. So you're at maximum healthy level. I'm declaring 40 as healthy obsession. <laughs> numerical value all right i accept that uh we are on to the plug-in section of the podcast you have something special to plug i i do i do okay so thank you so much so coming up um march 2nd this is the date that the auction is open to the public we are holding a charity auction event at titmouse in hollywood uh that's titmouse animation 
Um, it is called The Auction of Many Things. You can find it on Facebook. You can also find it, I believe, on Instagram. Um, and certainly if you follow me, Ryan Vernier, uh, on Twitter, and I believe also Ryan Vernier on Instagram, uh, I'm linking to it in all the bios there. Well, basically I, uh, went to a Gary con, uh, recently, uh, not too long ago. I went to my first Gary con a couple years ago and I saw a charity auction event held there, um, by Luke Gygax, Gary's, one of Gary's children. And it was to benefit uh, Jim Ward, the creator of Gamma World, who at the time needed some surgery. He was having some problems uh, with uh, a foot. Okay. They raised some money. Um, it was a respectable amount. And I said, you know what? There's so many nerds, successful nerds in Los Angeles. We need to bring this concept there, Make have original works of art created by some of the top creators out there, like the Pendleton Wards, you know, uh, you know, uh, like uh, of the world. Um, we have a lot of, uh, um, you know, Alex Partey. We have like all sorts of artists. I think we have cool. 83 artists creating original works of art for the auction that you'll be able to bid on. And every cent is going to get donated to uh, a charity that Luke is setting up in Wisconsin to sort of benefit the surviving creators of uh D D. That's know, people awesome. like Tim Cask and Frank Metzer and and so on and so forth. And it's specifically gonna be to help with medical bills. Okay, cool. So obviously this uh specific event, you know, inspired you of, yeah. of this person. Is there a little bit looking at the world of other media and seeing like how much uh people revere early comic book creators who aren't getting didn't get treated as well and this is an opportunity to with D D really support and respect the founders so so yeah i mean it's born out of all of that i guess and i don't want to be too sad but when i i thought there would be more of them around but um actually tim cask is the last surviving like first wave og tsr employee wow he's gonna come to the auction he's uh, 70 years young as they say <laughs> and you're gonna be able to bid on a seat at a DD table he's gonna run a session Damn. On the third, so if you, I think we're gonna auction off six to eight seats. Okay, it's up to it's up to Tim, and uh, you can have like one of the original dungeon masters run you through, uh, you know, like a five hour session that Sunday. That's incredible, and that's I mean, yeah, I mean, and Tim's the last, so we're kind of late with this charity event. Like, not to be too morbid, like <laughs> yeah. you know, there's a lot of people still left who we could help out with, but yeah, you know, unfortunately. Um, I think people only associate the creation of D&D with Gary Gygax and uh, Dave Arneson. Um, and they leave out like the hundred other people yeah. who were there doing layouts and drawing pictures. And and so, yeah, we just feel like we could do something that maybe is a resource for them. Yeah. The auction of many things. Yeah. The auction of many things. It's going to be March 2nd at Titmouse, open to the public. Um, there's a, and there's a private viewing the night before for some VIPs who will probably, but that's it. Yeah. Cool. Cool. And can you spell your last name so people can find you on social media? Yes. It's V E R N I E R E. Awesome. That's great. Uh, here's some quick plugs for this show and then we'll do our final weird questions. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram is at Joseph Scrimshaw. You can follow obsessed podcast on Twitter and Facebook is at obsessed podcast. You can also check out the Star Wars podcast I co-host that is called Force Center. For info on all my upcoming shows and comedy albums and stuff, you can check out my website at josephsgrimshaw.com. And you can support Obsessed by backing us on Patreon. Full info on that, go to patreon.com slash josephsgrimshaw. All right, final questions. First one, if you could shoot one of these things out of your hands, <laughs> which would you choose, lightning or printer ink? 
Oh, lightning. <laughs> I mean, I mean, it covers both Star Wars and D&D. So, yeah. Not even a little bit of temptation uh, no, to go practical. No, no, I always knew I was a Sith. <laughs> always. Really? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't know with the new rules where there's only two and stuff, but, like, back in the day, yeah. we didn't know... I'm talking like Sith through the lens of like New Hope to Jedi. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And you just want to see that power, that lightning dance out of your fingers. Yeah. Authority is too difficult for humanity. <laughs> like someone needs to be in charge. <laughs> and why not let old lightning fingers be in charge? I mean, it's clearly lightning fingers. Yeah. It's clearly <laughs> lightning fingers. None of this bullshit print drink. All no. Right. No. If you could, would you clone yourself? Ugh. Joseph, I don't know why it's going to be some other it's going to be some other like, you know, male pattern baldness, half dwarf <laughs> who I mean, I think I, I mean, it's not going to have the same parents. I yeah. mean, no, you know, no. I mean, OK, it, you know, that I, that's like Elseworlds me. It's like, I don't know. Do you want to I mean, what would I gain out of that? The yeah. opportunity to see myself homeless and drunk? Like, I don't know if I... No one needs that. <laughs> okay, it, fair enough. This story worked out okay. Yeah. I'm going to keep this one. I'm having so much fun answering this question because I expected people to vacillate. And so far, everyone has been like, no, or yes, of course. <laughs> There's been like... People have been very declarative. And I ask them, you know, weird questions all the time. And people like, oh, I don't know. Let me have it. But clones like, yep, or no. And that's I think it. the only way I would clone myself is to like harvest organs. From okay. it for me. So yeah. that's not really... Yeah, and then you're getting into some moral issues, right? No, I'm not. Screw that thing. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> All right. We're going to move on to the final question. What is happiness besides harvesting your clone for organs? Oh, man. It's like... Jesus. Oh, happiness? Like... I, so it changes a lot. But for me, right now, I feel like I'm be, being aware that you are happy at all yeah. is enough. Okay. And I think like to define it in some sort of supreme golden light sort of way is probably not good. But to be able to identify that at one point today you were happy is like good enough. Yeah. Do you feel, no, I know you said that's good enough and I, I could and probably should let it be, but I'm so curious. Oh no, all right. Do you feel it helps you like if on Wednesday you have a, that moment of like, you know, I was really at peace and just enjoying my drive. Does that help you have that experience again the next day? Or is it really about being in the moment and it doesn't translate to any sort yeah, of future planning? It, and that's the thing that scares me just as a mortal is no, it's just on that drive. Yeah. In that moment where like, I don't know what it is, but like, like, you know, I've been surrendering to like uh, emotions. And so I'll drive home and then I'll see something or, you know, something will come on NPR and it'll be like, and, and it will make me laugh or it'll make me cry. And I, I just acknowledge this big mo emotion. Yeah. And then, no, it's gone. It washes away. And maybe that's merciful because, you know, we don't want to be in one state, right? Because then grief could last forever. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, it's just like acknowledging that you have been and will be again happy, I think. is Okay. Happiness. I think that's a great answer that happiness is just being cognizant of the moments that you are actually happy. I hope so. I think I'm I'm probably just badly quoting teachers I've had before, but yeah. And I've been like I I get depressed. Yeah. Like, you know, this is a thing that I've struggled with, but yeah, I mean, that seems to be the experience I'm having. Maybe yeah. it's similar for someone else. I think that's a great answer. Thank you so much for doing the podcast. I learned so much about miniatures. My pleasure. All <laughs> roads lead back to D and D. <laughs> that is a great conclusion. That is our podcast. 
You've been listening to Obsessed. Joseph Scrimshaw and his guest shared some stories with the rest. Rate five stars if you're impressed. The one that freaked me out the most was uh, I was storing some boxes for my friend George Christick. And he was just like, hey, can you, you got some free space in your garage, take these boxes of minis. I'm like, ooh, boxes of minis, of course. And while I was, um, you know, snooping through his boxes, I found the first miniature I ever painted with some level of skill. And it was like this elf ranger, I want to say, an old Ralph Partha. And it tra- it physically transported me into my grandfather's basement. And the emotion was so overwhelming that it... I told him and he let me keep it and and I I just won't paint it because I want it to be in this state of like, that's what it was like when I was a kid. And it gets a little too upsetting to go on past that, but I think that's the one.